Good morning. Great to be here with you, and I encourage to uh, begin this uh, week of prayer with you. Uh, we're going to be in Isaiah 64, if you can open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 64. sermon's going to focus on verse 7, on why we don't pray, but I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 7. Isaiah 64, beginning in verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray for his help. Our God, we thank you that you have In your grace, revealed yourself in your word. You have revealed how we ought to live and what you desire from us, your people, and how we may know you and your grace and may know the love of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we confess our weakness and our need and our sin, which hinders that relationship with you as our Father. And so we need your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would forgive us through Jesus Christ and that you would receive us in prayer. And as we spend this time now worshiping you through your word, we pray, Lord, that you would accept our worship, that our hearts would be pleasing to you through Christ. And we ask for your spirit. Pour out your spirit upon this church. Help us to listen. Help us to put into practice what you desire for us to do from this text. And we pray these things through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, what many believe to be the last or the most recent great revival in America took place in 1858 in New York, New York City. A revival is when many people, maybe thousands or even millions of people, are converted, come to Christ in a short time span. 
and they come to Christ in, in miraculous ways. You can read stories about people like a man who is on his way to commit a murder and suddenly sees a Bible verse or something like this, and he is struck by it, and he is converted on the spot, and he doesn't commit the murder because he's just become a Christian. And there are many, many things like that that happen in miraculous ways. But in 1858, there was a great revival that began in New York City, and eventually, I think about a million people were said to have been converted in that time, that year. But that revival was preceded by a revival of prayer. Prayer was the prelude to those many conversions. There was a missionary in New York City who didn't know what to do as he looked around at all the lost people around him. And so he was there praying by himself when he had the idea that he would start a prayer meeting. He invited a bunch of people, and the first meeting, only five other people showed up. They decided to have the prayer meeting again the next week, and 20 people showed up. And then they had the meeting the third week, and 40 people showed up. And as they continued to meet week after week, the room started to get full. And so when the room got full, they decided to add more meetings to pray at different times of the day. And then all those meetings got full. And so then they decided to pray in different places around the city, in different churches throughout the day. And guess what? Those meetings got full. So that at one point in 1858, there were 150 prayer meetings happening uh, every single day across the city. Now, if we think of our area, there probably are less than 50 every week happening. But 150 were happening there every day. Now, the thing is that this missionary, he did not come up with some great plan of how we need to reach New York City and so we need to start a bunch of prayer meetings. That wasn't his intention. He just wanted to pray. And it just happened that people were all of a sudden, all at the same time, being compelled, being moved to prayer. Samuel Prime is a man who writes about this story in a book called The Power of Prayer, which is a great book if you want to be encouraged to pray. And this is what he says. He says, The places of prayer multiplied because people were moved to prayer. They wished to pray. They felt impelled by some unseen power to pray. And we know that that unseen power was the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was sovereignly working to impel people to pray. For some reason, all these people were getting together every single day. And as a result of that, God used those prayers. He answered those prayers and many were saved. It's the work of the Spirit of God that gets people to pray. As we come to talk about prayer this morning and you're going to spend a week in prayer uh, one person came up to me once and said, you know, there's nothing that you can talk about that will make Christians feel more guilty 
than to talk about prayer. And that's true. Even the most mature Christian would say they don't pray enough. And so we're going to look at this passage and we're going to see that there are some challenges and exhortations to us. Uh, There are commands to God's people that we need to pray. But I don't want you to walk away with that conclusion of just, yeah, I should pray. What I want you to walk away with is the understanding that prayer is a work of the Spirit of God in your life and in a church's life. If we are going to pray, ultimately, even though we are responsible for what we need to do, ultimately, it is the Spirit who must impel you as a Christian and as a church that we need to pray. And so that's my goal as we look at verse 7. Before we get to verse 7, I want to show you a little bit of the context of, in Isaiah of what's going on here. Uh, Isaiah is prophesying about the exile and how Israel had been under God's judgment because of their sin. And so they are in exile in Babylon. But in chapter 63, verse 7, they begin to look back to the good old days, recounting God's goodness and faithfulness. And so the good old days for them were the exodus, when God brought them out of Egypt. And they're looking back and they're saying, okay, that was great back then, and now here we are. And so they're saying, God, will you not do this again? Won't you help us like you helped Israel when they were in slavery in Egypt? And so in verse 15 of Isaiah 63, they begin to ask God, to return, to help them, to rescue them. That's what Isaiah 64 is continuing, this prayer that God would help. Verse 1 of Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, appear to us, rescue us again. But then, in the middle of verse 5, they start to confess their sin. We know why we're here in exile. It's because we sinned. And so they confess their sins and that we have that famous verse six, our sins are like, and they make our our righteous deeds are like uh, polluted garments, a filthy rag. Even our best actions are filthy. This is sinful Israel talking. And then in verse seven, as part of their confession of why they know they deserve the judgment of God and why they're in exile. Part of their confession of sin is there is no one who calls upon your name. There's no one who prays. And not praying is a sin. And because we don't pray, we deserve your judgment, God. So we want to look at verse 7 more closely now. And I want to give you three reasons we don't pray from verse 7. There is no one who calls upon your name. That's a reference to prayer. There is no one who rouses himself to take hold of you. So the first reason is that prayer is hard. Prayer is hard. Now, I can just make this point. I can say prayer is hard. You can all nod your heads. Yes, I know prayer is hard. Let's move on to the next point. But we're not going to do that. Let's think about why prayer is hard. 
Well, first of all, uh, many of your spiritual heroes agree with you that prayer is hard. Martin Luther said prayer comes close to being the most difficult of all works. The great reformer Martin Luther thought prayer was hard. John Bunyan thought prayer was hard. I'm going to be quoting Bunyan several times because he wrote a great little book on prayer. He says, the nearer a man comes in any work God commands him to do, so much the more hard and difficult it is. Prayer is one of the most eminent duties, therefore so much the more difficult. Because prayer is one of the most important things we can do, it is one of the hardest things to do because your flesh, your sinful flesh, doesn't want to pray. Satan really doesn't want you to pray. And this world around you, with all its distractions and entertainments, wants to keep you from prayer. So Luther thought prayer was hard. John Bunyan thought prayer was hard. You agree that prayer is hard. Why is prayer hard? Because we see here in verse 7, there is no one who rouses himself to take hold of you. Prayer is taking hold of God. It's in parallel there to calling upon God's name. Another way of describing calling upon God's name or prayer is taking hold of God. Grasping firmly onto God, not letting go. I think Isaiah is giving us the image of Jacob in Genesis 32. God, through this angel, wrestles with this angel man at night and they wrestle all through the night the 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 man the angel touches his hip socket and he is limp and yet Jacob still will not let go and when the sun comes up the angel says you need to let me go now and Jacob says I will not let you go until you bless me And this is what prayer is. Prayer is wrestling with God, wrestling with God all night, not letting go, taking hold of God until you receive the blessing that you are praying for. I think we find prayer hard because we expect prayer to be like the vending machine. You put your money in the machine and you want to have your snack or your drink out to you in less than 30 seconds. And you think if you go to God and you throw up a prayer that God ought to answer that within 30 seconds. But that's not how prayer works. Prayer is wrestling with God, not letting go until you know that he's answered. And so we need to persist in prayer. Luke 18 verse 1, Jesus tells us we ought always to pray and not lose heart. Matthew 7, verse 7, Jesus says, keep asking and seeking and knocking. Do not let go of God. Wrestling is hard. Wrestling is tiring. I'm sure there are many dads here. And one of the things that kids love to do with their dads is wrestle with their dad. And that is easier to do when the child is four and you are in your mid to late 20s. But then as you get older and your children get bigger and you get older and creakier, the kids come to you and say, Dad, Dad, can we wrestle? 
Maybe there are some nights where you just say, I just can't do it tonight. I don't have energy today. I don't have it in me. My body hurts. And it's the same way with prayer. Maybe there are days where you just say, I don't have it in me. I have no energy to pray. I have no desire to pray today. Prayer is hard. It's wrestling. So we get tired of praying. We also get tired while praying. Maybe you have literally fallen asleep. I have literally fallen asleep while praying. It's kind of embarrassing. But we get tired even while praying and we get distracted while praying. John Bunyan, again, he says, Oh, the starting holes that the heart has in time of prayer. None knows how many byways the heart has and back lanes to slip away from the presence of God. Maybe you're someone who likes to take the back roads because there are so many cars on 146 here. And you can take the back roads, but you can go into every little neighborhood and never arrive at your destination. And Bunyan says... You can start to pray and your mind will take all kinds of back roads and you never get to God. And so we must grab on and not let go. Take hold of God. There's one more reason prayer is hard. It's not in this verse directly, but I think you'll see that it's a biblical reason. Prayer is hard because you can only pray through Jesus Christ. Many of us, when we end our prayers, we say, in Jesus' name. And we're taught in the Bible, in Ephesians 5.20, Paul says, give thanks to God in the name of Jesus. And so that's a biblical thing to do, but you don't always have to end your prayers by saying, in Jesus' name. But still, whenever we pray, we only can pray to God through Jesus. It's through His work on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven to sit at the Father's right hand so that he can intercede for his people, his brothers. That is how we come to God in prayer. John Bunyan, again, this is the last one for the sermon. uh, He says, this coming to God through Christ is the hardest part of prayer. The hardest thing about praying is that we can only do it through Christ. So here's what he means by that. Only Christians can really pray. Only through the blood of Christ does God really hear and accept our prayers. And it's really hard to make a Christian. It is impossible with man and only possible by the power of God. If you want to pray, pray rightly, you want God to truly hear your prayers through Jesus Christ, you need God to make you alive. You need God to take your dead heart and make it new. You need to become a new creation, and that can only be done through Jesus Christ. You need to trust in Christ as your Savior, 
not depending on any good things that you do, try to earn your way for God to like you to, so that he can hear you more, but to rest upon Christ alone. So, I know hardly any of you. I don't know if you are truly trusting in Christ. But you need to know this is the most important thing that you need to hear today, that if you want to come to God that you are a sinner under his judgment, and the only way for you to come before him is through Jesus Christ. And then we learn how to pray. We come to him in the name of Christ. So prayer is hard. It's hard because it's wrestling with God. It's hard because we can only come through Christ. Here's the second reason we don't pray. We're sleepy. We are sleeping. There's something wrong with us. Look again at verse 7. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. Rousing yourself means getting yourself together, waking yourself up. Now again, you can take this very literally. There, there are people who find it very hard to wake up When the alarm goes off, your body doesn't want to wake up to pray. And so you sleep through your scheduled prayer time, and then you got to get ready for work, and you find that you don't really pray throughout the day. But he's not just talking physically, literally here. He's meaning spiritually. We are spiritually sleepy people. Spiritually apathetic. And so we don't pray. Lack of prayer is the symptom of a disease, a problem that we have. The problem of our spiritual apathy, our spiritual sleepiness. One person said that when revivals happen, not only are many unbelievers converted, he said three things happen. Outsiders are converted. Second, Uh, nominal Christians, meaning church-going people who think they're Christians, they are converted. They realize that they're not Christians, and so they come to Christ. And then the third thing that happens in a revival, he says, is sleepy Christians wake up. We need the Spirit of God to be at work among us and in our churches so that sleepy Christians will wake up. You can be a true Christian, and you can know the love of God, you can know the work of Christ, but when the Spirit of God works in revival and we wake up, we see these things for what they really are. As Paul says, we we look to things that are unseen, that are eternal, not to things that are seen. So you may be going through your life, you believe God is holy. You believe you're a sinner. You believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You believe God loves you. But it doesn't really affect you very much. You are not passionate about this. And because you are spiritually asleep, you are not having this communion with God, this pouring out your heart to God in prayer, which is what prayer is. You don't rouse yourself. To wrestle with God. And so we need God to wake us up. 
I wonder why you might be spiritually sleepy. Maybe you're just too busy with your life. D.A. Carson said, if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. God does not call you to drive your kids all around to every activity if that means you're neglecting to pray. If all of that is a distraction and causing you to be spiritually sleepy, then God does not want you to do that. Maybe you're too busy. Maybe you don't see the need for prayer. You're not truly dependent upon God. In the Lord's Prayer, he tells us to pray for our daily bread. Isn't that such a strange thing for people in this country? Many of us. Why do you need to pray for your daily bread when you've got a grocery store down the corner and you've got a pantry stocked full of stuff to eat? And you can apply that to many things in our lives. We don't really believe that we need God. Maybe you think that your prayers don't really do anything. It doesn't have any effect. Or maybe you think... Theologically, well, God is sovereign over everything. What's the point? He's just going to do what he wants anyways. You don't understand how God still uses our prayers to accomplish his purpose. Or maybe your relationship with God is sleepy as a whole. Prayer is pouring out your heart to God. And you pour out your heart to friends that you love and that you trust. And if you believe that God has been unkind to you, doesn't really love you, has hurt you in the past, then you're not going to pour out your heart to him. So maybe you need to reconnect, rework on that relationship with God. So this is a spiritual problem, our lack of prayer. We are sleeping. But let's look at the third, the final reason we don't pray, and this will also give us the solution. The third reason we don't pray is that God has hidden his face. Verse 7 again. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. We don't pray because God has not poured out his spirit upon us. He has not impelled us to pray as he did in 1858. God has not blessed us with his face or his presence to be among us to drive us to prayer. So verse 7, the second half, notice that first word is for. For means because. We don't pray because God has hidden his face from us. I bet you're pretty surprised by verse 7. You would think it would be the opposite. God has hidden his face from us Because we don't pray. We don't pray. That leads to God hiding his face. But that's not what verse 7 says. 
God hides his face from us. Therefore, we don't pray. This is the reason we don't pray. So what does it mean to hide his face? Well, his face means his blessing, his presence to bless. God's presence is everywhere, but he's not blessing everyone everywhere. Um, God's blessing needs to be with us for good. So his face to be with us is his blessing. Him hiding his face is to not give us those blessings, to withhold them, to, to leave us. And then he says, God has made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. There's this image of a candle melting. Candles take a long time to melt. And if you don't want your candle to be all melted down and burnt out, you will put out the flame, right? And so it's as if God is watching this candle. And he sees it's melting and melting and melting. He could blow it out to keep it from melting. But he says, no, I'm just going to leave it. He sees us in our sins. He sees us in the consequences, the pile of our mess of our sins. We're sitting there in it. And he says, I'm just going to leave you there. I'll leave you to melt in the hand of your sins. And that's what being prayerless is. As we go through our lives without prayer, it's because God says, I'm just going to let you stay spiritually stagnant and dry because of your sin. And so you won't pray. Now, why has God hidden his face from us? Well, go back a few chapters to chapter 59, verse 2. Isaiah 59, verse 2 says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. Your iniquities, Isaiah 59, verse 2, Your sins have separated you from God and have hidden his face from you. So, We sin, God hides his face. As a result of God hiding his face, he leaves us to melt in our iniquities, and therefore we do not pray. Now you might be wondering, uh, okay, this is Old Testament, is this true of a Christian? Aren't Christians justified in Christ? Have all of our sins forgiven? Doesn't God's love for us never change, go up and down based on my sin? Well, that is true. In Christ, God's love for you is the same love that he's had for eternity. This is not talking about your salvation, but it's talking about your relationship with God and the consequences of your sins. You can be completely forgiven of your sins and have God's full love for you and yet be melting in the hand of your sins, sitting there in the consequences on earth of your sins. Imagine a child goes into his dad's office and there's a special collectible item and the child breaks it. The child might not be afraid. My father doesn't love me anymore. 
My father's going to disown me. He, no, he's probably not going to think that. His father will still have the same love for him. His father will forgive him. But his father might say, you can't go in that room anymore. That's a consequence. And then every time that child walks by that room, he would be reminded of the consequences of his sin. And so prayerlessness is a consequence of God hiding his face. So what's the solution? One solution is that we need to repent of our sins. Even as a Christian, maybe you need to do some self-examination. Maybe you are spiritually sleepy. Your heart has been cold. Maybe there's serious sin in your life that you need to deal with. Maybe you've been hiding from others. I don't know. But we need to repent of our sins. We need to confess them to God, knowing his promise that he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you don't need to fear your confession of sin, but you need to repent and turn away. But ultimately, our prayerlessness, the solution is we need God to work among us. We need God to not hide his face from us. We need God to give us a desire to pray, to show us that we need prayer. We need God to awaken the spiritually sleepy. We need God to revive our hearts. And here's where you see the abounding grace of God. That we, even as Christians, that, that we as churches, we deserve to melt in our iniquities. We can't say that God owes it to us to pour out his spirit upon us. And yet God says that he desires to do it. Yes, he has hidden his face from us, but God desires to pour out his spirit of blessing upon his people. And so this is what we need. We need God to do what verse 1 says, that God would rend the heavens, rip open heaven. The Spirit would come down like God did at Mount Sinai. And when God appeared on Mount Sinai, nobody said, oh, Moses, great job of planning this. Moses, I want to go to your church. You're a great leader. No, everybody just says, God did this. We were not expecting this. That's what he says in verse 3. You did awesome things we did not look for. They were not expecting this great revival in 1858. They just wanted to pray because they were impelled to pray. We don't know what will happen as a result of our prayers. You don't know what can happen as a result of this week of prayer. God can do awesome things that you do not look for, but you need him. You need him to rip open heaven and for his spirit to be poured out upon you and upon many people. God can do in verse four what no one has ever heard about, what no eye has ever seen. He acts for those who wait upon him, for those who pour themselves out to him in prayer. God can do this for you. This is what you need. In Zechariah 12, verse 10, God promises to pour out 
upon the house of David. I would say this is for God's people. This is for the church. He promises to pour out on them the spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. Or the spirit of supplication. The spirit of prayer. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of prayer. He is the one that will move you to pray. And God desires to pour out on his church the spirit of supplication. The spirit that will give you a desire for pleading for mercy. Luke 11 verse 13 God, Jesus says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of prayer. Ask him to pour out his spirit of prayer upon you and your church. He desires to give you that. Psalm 81 verse 10 says, open your mouths wide and I will fill it. God desires to fill us with his spirit. And so our call and response is to call out to God and say, God, do not hide your face from us any longer. Oh God, will you rip open heaven and come down? That's what I need in my life. That's what I need in my family. That's what we need in our church. Rend the heavens and come down. Pour out the spirit upon us. And then we will pray. Prayer is hard. Prayer is wrestling with God. And many are sleepy. God has hidden his face from us. Only God can awaken us. But God can rend the heavens again. Like he did in 1858. And he's done many times in many places. And then you and I will take hold of God. And this church will be filled with people who will say, I will not let you go until you bless me. Let's pray that God would do that for us. Oh God, we do want to confess our own sin and our prayerlessness. And we desire greater and greater repentance towards you and faith in Jesus Christ. We confess our own spiritual sleepiness. And this is not a problem that we can fix of ourselves because we've tried it many times. Oh Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. Pour out your Spirit as you have promised that you can do. As your word teaches that you desire to do. As you've revealed. Lord, we pray that you would make us people who take hold of you. Who do not give up and do not lose heart. And we pray that we would see your great blessings upon our lives and upon this church as a result of your work.
All of this might be done for your name's sake, not our own. And so we come to you through Jesus Christ.